0: listening to Fuel for Thought, a Houston Clean Cities Coalition podcast. Clean Cities is generously funded by the Department of Energy and hosted within the Houston-Galveston Area Council. Here are our hosts, Andrew DeCandis, Gilbert Washington, and Ben Finley. Take it away, Andrew.
1: Hello and welcome to HGAC's Fuel for Thought. I'm Andrew DeCandis, one of the co-coordinators for the Houston-Galveston Clean Cities Coalition. Today, I'm joined by my co-coordinators, Ben Finley, Hey! And Gilbert Washington. Hello! Later on, we'll hear from Brian Weeks from GTI to talk about the outlook for hydrogen as an alternative fuel. Besides making this podcast, the Houston
2: Galveston Clean Cities Coalition also works to bring our stakeholders many other events such as webinars, educational events, and stakeholder meetings to help expand the use of alternative fuels within our region. In addition to hearing from Brian Weeks today, you can find webinars featuring alternative fuels on our website as well as information about
1: upcoming events.
0: Just in case our listeners did not find this podcast from our website, what is that website address?
1: Houston-CleanCities.org.
2: That's our one word, Houston-CleanCities.org. That's the same website people can go to to join our coalition as stakeholders or just keep tabs on what we're doing. Membership is free. We provide news, information about alternative fuels, and funding opportunities for organizations within the Houston region.
1: Let's move on to the interview, but do stay tuned in for our membership shout-out at the end of the episode.
0: Today's interview is with Mr. Brian Weeks of GTI. GTI is a nonprofit organization that is a leader in researching, consulting, training, and developing solutions to the energy and environmental challenges around the world. We are fortunate to have Mr. Brian Weeks to interview today. Brian has been influential in raising awareness of hydrogen fuels in the Houston area, and he continues to champion efforts to make hydrogen a viable fuel choice in our region. Welcome to Fuel for Thought, Brian.
3: Hi, Ben. First of all, let me thank you for the invitation to participate today and to be with you for this next few minutes to talk a little bit about hydrogen.
0: Let's start off with an easy set of questions. Who are you, who do you work for, and how did you get there?
3: I'm the Senior Director of Business Development for GTI. I'm located here in Houston, living in Houston for over 30 years. And without giving you the entire life history, I've actually been in transportation and energy my entire life. My dad was a uh, the Chevrolet dealer, so I grew up uh, around cars. He eventually decided he didn't like the retail business, and so he got into wholesale distributing gasoline for Shell. We had a number of service stations that we Mm -hmm. we provided fuel for. I guess it was a natural migration for me to go to work eventually for Texaco about 15 years and then left there to go to work for GTI. GTI is a research and development organization. So that's where I am today. In that transition, actually, I became very involved in the hydrogen business, which, of course, we'll be talking about today.
0: That sounds like quite the journey. (laughs) Could you talk more about GTI and how that organization fits into the world of alternative fuels? Sure.
3: GTI, we're a research and development organization. We are a not-for-profit, but we're a little bit different from what you typically view a nonprofit as. We're not really policy-focused. We're a bunch of engineers who make things. We develop technologies, so very technically focused. We're looking for technical solutions for environmental and energy challenges that we have in the world today. Uh, GTI has been around for 80 years, so we have a pretty big track record of moving technical ideas and technology concepts from the bench top, if you will, all the way into the commercial world. Because we're not-for-profit, when technologies become commercial, we hand them off to our for-profit partners, many of them are here in the Houston area.
0: Hmm. Speaking of the Houston area... One of the hats I wear for the Houston area is to help our region lower the level of harmful ground level ozone. We primarily do this by providing grant funding for vehicle replacement projects that can demonstrate a reduction in NOx, one of the major components of ozone. However, we're now seeing that we need to start paying attention to other emissions such as PM 2.5. What are the emissions of hydrogen fuel And more importantly, is there an environmental trade-off when using or producing hydrogen fuel?
3: This is a fairly involved question, and let me just see if I can sort of back up and approach it from a, what, the 10,000-foot level. You have to look at hydrogen in the context of what are we comparing it to? What are the alternatives? And that quest for the zero emissions, cheap, reliable, available fuel, I think will be with us for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Uh, I don't know that there is a perfect fuel that meets all applications. So hydrogen is increasingly being looked at as a good solution for vehicles. But in terms of the trade-offs, environmentally, hydrogen is a very attractive decarbonization solution because it's zero emissions when you use it in a fuel cell vehicle. I mean, no emissions at all. The emissions come into the supply chain, and where does the hydrogen come from? How do we make it? So we have to compare that with other alternatives, such as conventional liquid fuels, diesel and gasoline so on, as well as electric vehicles, where not only look at the supply chain for the electricity, but also for the batteries themselves, where we need to not just look at emissions at the tailpipe, but we need to look at the full, what we call the life cycle analysis of fuels. Where was it produced? How do we deliver it to the station? And then how do we use it in a vehicle? That full life cycle is where we should have our real focus today, and hydrogen matches up very well when you look at that full life cycle.
0: We were recently on the call, Andrew Gilbert and myself, where we were discussing hydrogen, and someone threw out the term, well to wheels. I thought this was an excellent phrase it indicates that we need to expand our study of emissions past the tailpipe if we want to reach some of our air quality goals.
3: One of the national labs, Argonne National Lab, has a model called the GREET, G-R-E-E-T model. It's the gold standard for evaluating this well to will for different pathways, if you will, for generating and delivering energy to end-use applications. Again, the Greek model has been what we've used to compare hydrogen to natural gas vehicles to electric vehicles. That's really the model that we've been using. So we continue to try and update that model as well. That's probably all we need to talk about <laughs> on, that, on that topic.
0: Well, let's talk about some of the applications. Do you see hydrogen fuel being used in other roles in other industries, maybe even residential?
3: Absolutely. This is a great question to, to really put today's context and today's conversation on hydrogen in the context of how we've looked at hydrogen over the last 20 years that I've been involved in it. When I first got involved in hydrogen in the late 1990s, we were looking at hydrogen strictly as a vehicle fuel to replace gasoline diesel, which, which of course we're still looking at. And we were also looking at it as a niche power generation application for high value power generation. Or, you know, where you really need a bank or a hospital where you need that very steady, reliable supply of power to back up. And there's been a bit of a roller coaster over the last couple of decades where hydrogen has become prominent in the conversation as a fuel and then, and then sort of faded into the background again. What makes today, dare I say, different from the past is that we're not looking at just those two applications. We're really looking at hydrogen as a large grid-scale energy storage solution. Hmm. And because of that, we have a whole new cast of players and stakeholders who are getting involved. Electric and gas utilities are both very interested in hydrogen, because if we can take slack or off-peak wind and solar power, store it in grid-scale quantities as hydrogen, and then either transport it or pull it back out when we need it, then it becomes a very interesting energy solution at much, much larger scale than, say, batteries or flywheels or pumped hydro, any of the other grid energy storage solutions that are available today. So that is really what's driving the conversation on hydrogen today. DOE's interested in it. Utilities are interested. Integrated energy companies are interested in it. And because we're looking at it for that application, it's led to a re emergence of other applications such as transport as the end use way to, to use this hydrogen that would be generated as an energy storage solution. That's a long way of answering your question that there are a number of end use applications that we're looking at, transportation just being one of them.
0: Fantastic answer. I do remember some conversations about the benefits of storing, but I didn't realize the web that that can cast. That does sound like an important issue to pursue. Well,
3: if you think Uh, about it, renewables, wind and solar, cost is really being driven down. But one thing hasn't changed, and that is that they're not dispatchable. Like ERCOT, the, uh, the grid operator, they can't call upon your wind farm and say, hey, listen, we need to crank up the power or we need to cut back. Well, they can not tell them to cut back. As a wind operator, then you have this capacity that's not being used. So what that eventually does is it puts a limit on how much renewables you can actually put on the grid. Until we answer this energy storage question, that will be an obstacle for us to continue to deploy renewables. So hydrogen is being looked at as that potential energy storage solution. Thank you for asking the question. Sorry if I digressed a bit. No, too.
0: I think it's an aspect that our listeners probably won't get into unless we bring it up. But that does beg the question. When we're looking at hydrogen being used as a alternative fuel, how close do you think we are from hydrogen really taking off in the transportation
3: sector? We've made tremendous progress over the last couple of decades. When I first got involved in hydrogen, we were looking for fuel cells that could have a 100 hours of life. Now we're looking at Thousands of hours of life. Essentially, a fuel cell lasts as long or longer than the lifetime of a vehicle. This progress has been made incremental step by incremental step, but mm-hmm. over the last several years, all those steps have added up. We've come a long, long way. Today, we have over 12,000 hydrogen fuel cell vehicles on the road, most of which are in California. We have another 30,000 vehicles. These are warehouse lift trucks, or some people call them industrial trucks. Others refer to them just as forklifts, but we have another 30,000 of those vehicles that are deployed all around the country. And there are no incentives. They're being deployed because they're the lowest cost option for warehouse operators. So I would tell you that already today, we have some strong commercial drivers for hydrogen vehicles for certain applications. The trick is to scale this up and make it more available for the general public. And I think we've laid the groundwork to do that, but we also have quite a ways to go.
0: It's only a long way to go if you don't start stepping towards the destination. (laughs) You know, you got
3: to start somewhere, right? Well well said, well said. Well, let me
0: follow up with a question that could place hydrogen in a brighter spotlight. How safe is hydrogen fuel?
3: Hydrogen is very safe. Some would say it's safer than liquid fuels. As I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we have 12,000 hydrogen fuel cell vehicles in California today. These are being driven by regular consumers. They do undergo some quick training on how to fuel their vehicle because it's different than a gasoline vehicle. But the fueling protocols, the standards are well-developed. There's a number of sensors, safety features at each hydrogen fueling station that will shut the station down. If any leakage occurs or if there's a flame that occurs, the station will be immediately shut down. Now, there have been, I think, a couple of industrial incidents, one in Europe and one several years ago in the U.S., where the station itself had some problems, but there have been no personal injuries, certainly not at the consumer level, from hydrogen. You can't say the same thing about gasoline and diesel.
0: I think it's important to remind our listeners that all fueling stations have the same type of safety features, regardless of the fuel that they're dispensing. I've even seen the cutoff buttons when we're looking at gasoline, when we're looking at diesel, and I've seen those safety features at the CNG fueling infrastructures as well.
3: Thank you for bringing that up. I want to make light of the safety issues. Quite we began having safety issues with hydrogen. I think that would really give all of us pause. rethink this. What I typically tell people, it's neither safer nor more dangerous than any other fuel. It's just different. Someone told us, don't light a match around the portable gasoline tank. Nobody told us when we were a kid what and what not to do around a hydrogen tank. (laughs) So it's, (laughs) it's, it's new and different for all of us, and it's something to approach with caution.
0: Let's look at the engine that this fuel goes into. What is the difference between a traditional internal combustion engine and a hydrogen-fueled engine?
3: Sure. The internal combustion engine, the main driver, is combustion. It's a thermal mechanical process where the heat and expansion of a combusted gas drives the piston, which then drives the gears in the car and takes you to grandma's house. Whereas with the fuel cell, it is an electrochemical process where basically the hydrogen is routed to the fuel cell in the vehicle, and then it crosses what we call a membrane electrode assembly. Hydrogen exists in a gas in a molecule, H2. Mm So it's two hydrogen atoms and the accompanying electrons exist as a molecule. At the membrane, the electrons are separated from the protons in the hydrogen atom. The protons are ionized. They pass through the membrane. The electrons go around. Around this circuit, and that's where the electric current comes from. Essentially, we're taking pure hydrogen, crossing a membrane, and forming water, and in the process of doing that, we create an electric current, and that's essentially how fuel cell works. Think of it as a battery with a continuous fuel source.
0: Would this battery be a lighter type battery than what we would see in an electric vehicle?
3: Considerably lighter, because here we're talking about one fuel cell stack. Typically, with the batteries, you don't have a continuous source, so you have to have several batteries on board the vehicle or a large battery pack to contain the 40, 50, 70 kilowatt hours of electricity that you may need for that vehicle. With the hydrogen fuel cell, the energy is stored in the hydrogen, not in the Mm. fuel cell itself. Sell.
0: You've previously mentioned that hydrogen vehicles have hit the market as passenger cars, at least over in California. Do you see this technology coming into play for the larger Class 8 vehicles like the tractor trailers?
3: Yes, very much so. As a matter of fact, from a technical perspective, that really would have been the place to start. For long distances and the need to keep these vehicles in service almost continuously, Hydrogen, by far and away, is a better solution than uh, electric batteries because the weight and the room that it takes to have the hydrogen and the fuel cell on board is much less than a comparable amount of battery storage. The refueling time is critical. It's a few minutes compared to a few hours for electric batteries. And quite honestly, the fueling infrastructure for hydrogen, it's easier to scale up hydrogen where you would potentially have several vehicles fueling at the same time than it would be for a comparable electric battery fueling station, particularly for heavy-duty vehicles. There are a number of reasons, and I think actually we could even look back to the fuel cell forklifts as an example of why are there 30,000 fuel cell forklifts in warehouses? Because the only competition for those warehouses is electric forklifts. And for all the same reasons I mentioned a minute ago, but also the overall cost is greater for the electrics than it is for hydrogen. It's a good solution for heavy-duty trucks.
0: That's a great point. Drawing the comparison to the forklifts,
3: we just need to get more vehicles available, and that's, that's we're not Okay.
0: Well, talking deal. about vehicles, can I buy one directly from a dealer, or is this something that I would have to buy a kit and retrofit a current vehicle?
3: First thing you'd have to do is move to California. <laughs> And then at that point, you would have access to at least half a dozen different hydrogen vehicles that you could purchase at risk of missing a manufacturer To two. Uh, I'll list uh, Toyota, Hyundai, Honda, Audi, even uh, GM have fuel cell vehicle products on the road in California. Many people have heard of the Toyota Mirai. That's probably the most broadly deployed and most recognizable fuel cell vehicle on the road. I think it's about the same size as a Camry perhaps a tad larger. And it has a comparable range, comparable fueling time. And if you buy one, you get three years worth of fuel to go with it. Hmm. So it's a pretty good option, particularly environmentally conscious drivers in California.
0: That's an interesting deal where they throw into the package a few years of free fuel. We may want to highlight that for when we get up on our feet with hydrogen over here in Texas. It took me close to 15 years to get my honorary Texan citizenship. I don't think I'm going to be giving it up so easily.
3: There you go. Yeah, I've been here a little over 30 years myself. My wife was born and raised here, so Texas is home. Yes.
0: One thing we observed in the Houston area when we were trying to get CNG off the ground was we had this chicken and egg type dilemma where we had businesses that were willing to open up the infrastructure, the fueling stations for CNG trucks, but they realized they didn't have a customer base because there weren't any businesses driving CNG trucks at the time. And then on the other side, we had businesses that were willing to do pilot projects to investigate if they could use CNG trucks, but they were hesitant to buy the trucks because they didn't know where they could fuel up. Are you seeing that we have the same chicken and egg type situation here with hydrogen fuel?
3: Certainly. It's going to take companies who have the resources and I guess the vision to look out a few years beyond the near-term commercial competitiveness of hydrogen. You know, we have state incentives through the TURP program currently mm-hmm. to build uh, alternative or what I like to call advanced fuel fueling stations. But also we have recently announced through the bipartisan infrastructure bill, there's quite a bit of funding that will become available to build out infrastructure. And we very much believe that part of that will go toward building out hydrogen fueling stations so that private companies don't have to take that financial risk and to invest in something hoping that the market will come. We can get the government to step up and make these early investments until a market is established. And then, yeah, at that point, let's turn it over to the entrepreneurs and the businessmen who can grow that market and sustain it. But this early phase, just now gaining access to those government-sourced funds that can allow us to build this early infrastructure.
0: I think you hit it on the head. I think we're in just the early phase with hydrogen. But where do you see hydrogen in the next 10 years? (laughs)
3: Are are you going to call me up in 10 years and chastise me for predicting incorrectly?
0: (laughs) I promise you if I am still employed, I will not chastise you in 10 years.
3: There was a very prominent energy industry prognosticator on television recently predicting that hydrogen would be in widespread use really over the next two or three years. I hope that's true, but I think it will take longer because the nature of building infrastructure takes time. You have to, number one, get the funding in place. You have to get the permits in place. You have to get the end use markets lined up. It takes time to get that done. I believe it will, over the next five to 10 years, we'll begin to see these fleets deployed and hopefully hydrogen vehicles will become a commonplace enough that people won't even notice them on the streets anymore. But I think it's going to be probably closer to 10 years, then it will be to five, that to become commonplace. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it comes sooner. Look at how long it's taken us to get just above or below 2% of passenger vehicles being sold are electric vehicles today. How long have we been working on this? It's been even longer than we've been talking about fuel cells.
0: That's very true. Well, Brian, we've made it to my favorite question. (laughs) What question didn't I ask you that you wish I had? And how would you answer that
3: question? I would like to ask the question, what is happening in Houston today that I can point to regarding hydrogen? I'm excited to tell you that there is a very important project that is funded by U.S. Department of Energy, GTI, in partnership with University of Texas and Rice University and Center for Houston's Future, as well as 13 other very prominent industrial partners here in the state, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, Shell, Toyota. Mitsubishi, these are all very important energy companies, are deploying this two-track project. One track is to deploy and demonstrate a network of 100% renewable hydrogen generation and end-use applications. Most of that will occur in the Austin area, but the other track of the project is to lay out the pathway for deploying at a large-scale hydrogen in the Port of Houston area. And that will include applications such as vehicle fleets. It will include power generation, zero or at least low carbon hydrogen production. And it will also include industrial applications such as boilers. So this project is underway. It's funded and it's happening right now in Southeast Texas. And I invite any of your listeners to contact you and contact me. And I'm happy to share information about this very exciting project. And we hope that it's the first of many, many more to come.
0: Is this project meant to be more of a pilot project? Or do you think this could actually be the project that breaks that chicken and egg dilemma we were just talking about? Yes. (laughs) Okay, great answer. (laughs)
3: <laughs> the, the demonstration portion of it is the largest collection of hydrogen production technologies. We have four different hydrogen production technologies and hydrogen end-use technologies all in one area. It's the largest collection of production and end-use technologies in one place anywhere in the world. There's nothing like it anywhere else. We have this variety of technologies all integrated and working together to show how a hydrogen ecosystem can work. The Houston piece of this project will take the learnings that we have gathered in Austin and look at deploying the next stage, that being the early commercial applications for hydrogen. More to come. We hope to be able to make even more announcements in the near term.
0: If our listeners wanted to learn more about this project, is there a website they could go to?
3: We've been so focused on equipment and uh, getting our facilities in place, we are behind on the website. The easiest thing to do at this point is actually to contact me or look at the GTI website. It's www.gti.energy or type in Texas H2 at scale, the little at sign, and there'll be information that will pop up in your search screen.
0: Brian, I want to thank you for being our guest on Fuel for Thought, and I hope the project is successful in bringing the hydrogen fuel economy to the Houston area.
3: Thank you. HGAC is doing some great work. We're always happy to support whatever you're involved in at the time. Thanks, Ben, and thank you for all the audience that stuck with us.
1: Great interview, Ben. Now let's move into our free-for-all forum. This is the part of the podcast where the three of us chat about the interview and any other Clean Cities-related topics that we find interesting. The three of us have unique perspectives, and we always encourage free-flowing discussions. To start off, one thing that I found fascinating about Ben's conversation with Brian Weeks isn't directly involved with vehicle fuels, although it is, no doubt, very closely related. The topic that I'm thinking of is using hydrogen to assist with large-scale energy storage. This idea of using green power production methods such as solar or wind to create hydrogen reserves, and then using those reserves to later power hydrogen generators, vehicles, or homes is a great way to ensure that excess power production does not go to waste. Additionally, the ability to create American-made fuels locally and throughout the country is completely in line with the Clean Cities' goals to promote alternative fuels and decrease the use of foreign petroleum. Gilbert, did you have any takeaways from the interview? Yeah, I was impressed with the
2: wide variety of uses for hydrogen energy. Due to our transportation lens, I sometimes lose sight of all the incredible uses of alternative fuels. However, my main takeaway is how hydrogen fuel seems primed and ready to be the fuel of the future. And that starts with funding. And I thought the interview brought up a great point. Air quality grants typically look at tailpipe emission reduction as the determining factor for the grant's value. In the future, this could potentially change. And clean hydrogen is leading the pack when it comes to emissions from manufacturing energy. I also learned the comparative advantages of hydrogen-powered heavy-duty trucks versus EV. Brian mentioned long-range driving is the ideal usage for hydrogen fuel. He also stated that fuel cell technology takes up less space and is much lighter than its EV counterparts. If his prediction is right and we're only 10 years away, there's going to be a huge shift in the transportation market. Exciting stuff. Let's
0: not gloss over the environmental aspect of hydrogen. Hydrogen probably produces the easiest impact on the environment as the emissions are literally water and heat. The environmental impacts are more at the point sources where hydrogen fuel is extracted and where it is stored. Where it is important to remember the weld-to-wheels concept to understand the broader environmental aspect of things, I must say that the extraction process is becoming more efficient and more environmentally friendly. But getting back to one of the main issues about hydrogen fuel vehicle and equipment, it's the price. I want to remind our listeners that if you're investigating if hydrogen fuel technology is a good fit for your fleet today, that Gilbert is right. There are ample grants available, or soon will become available, to help reduce the cost of your hydrogen investments. Furthermore, as we've seen with other alternative fuel technologies, the price tends to decrease over time as more of these vehicles and equipment become abundant.
1: One of the activities that's emerged from the recent bipartisan infrastructure law is the establishment of hydrogen hubs throughout the country. The recently passed law specifies that $8 billion will be made available by the Department of Energy to develop four regional hydrogen hubs to create jobs and expand the use of clean hydrogen in the industrial sector and beyond. One of the regions buying for this funding centers around Houston, and there's efforts ongoing to help the region develop plans and apply for this funding with participants from both industry and academia within our region working on this effort. And we're really looking forward to seeing where this effort leads.
2: This wouldn't be a Clean Cities podcast without mentioning some alternative fuel grant opportunities. For our Texas listeners, TCEQ is accepting applications for three TERP grants at this current moment. The Texas Clean School Bus Program, the Light Duty Motor Vehicle Purchase or Lease Incentive Program, and the Seaport and Rail Yard Areas Emission Reduction Program. They are all open. Go to tceq.texas.gov slash air quality for more information. And on a federal level, get ready. There's a lot of funds for zero emission technology. We anticipate announcements for EPA's Clean School Bus Program, and the Department of Transportation has plans to implement the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Formula Program, better known as NEVI. More information will become available towards the end of the year.
0: Hey, I dated a NEVI in college, but getting back to the podcast, and perhaps this will be a better podcast topic by itself later down the line, And that topic is trains. You see what I did there, Gilbert? Trains need extremely powerful towing engines, and so far the bulk of these engines are diesel-powered. There are several companies in our region investigating and experimenting with alternative-fueled engines for trains. I wonder if we will see a hydrogen-fueled train engine in the Houston region. And speaking of powerful engines, when we look in the marine-type projects, the engines that are powering the tugboats and the ferries happen to be very similar to those that are powering the tractor trailers. Were you aware that the first hydrogen fuel cell marine project was done at the port of Hawaii?
1: No, no I didn't ben. know that.
0: I think it's time for a field trip.
1: No, Ben, we have too much that we need to accomplish here. Oh. Let's get to the membership shout-out.
0: Today's membership shout-out goes out to Houston Metro. Yay! Houston Metro is in the process of implementing a climate action plan. They're even adding hydrogen buses to their alternative-fueled fleet. Congratulations. We'd love to know how it goes and to hear the responses of many of your writers.
2: And with that, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Houston-Galveston Clean City Coalition's fuel for thought join us on our next episode where we will continue focusing on different alternative fuels
0: you have been listening to fuel for thought a podcast of the houston clean cities coalition hosted within the houston galveston area council our special guest was mr brian weeks from gti all music and sound effects were provided by Mixpad Masters through the NCH
1: software. I think we need to replace our theme song with the little tune you were just humming, Gilbert. <laughs> what song? What song is that? I have
2: no <laughs> idea what it was. I
1: just heard <laughs> you need
2: the sh- Shazam it.
0: All right. Well, the thing is, if we replace it with the Shazam tune, we're going to forfeit our trip to Hawaii to play royalties. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: I was specifically thinking about the slightly mumbled, grunty <laughs> thing that I heard. <laughs> I have no idea what like Gilbert right. was actually humming. I just heard slightly. I just heard muffled grunts. Yeah, we have. To <laughs> have to a I,
2: I own all the rights to that. That's me. So. Uh, <laughs> TM. <laughs>
1: Well, that would be our band name is the Muffled Grunts.